God filled us with compassion for other people that we didn't start with. And it continues and we get to learn and grow together and it brings us closer together as a family. We've just, through all of these small steps, uh, God brought us to incredible relationships. And one of the things that evangelism is to me now is hospitality and it's opening your home. One Sunday morning, John Burns came in his incredible John Burns way, it was very direct with the congregation and kind of issued a challenge. The minister calls me, it's a true story. Minister calls me, says, John, I'd like to talk to you about a few things. Yes, go on. Well, one of my people in my church saw you in a pub last Friday. Right. John, you need to be really careful who you associate with and the things you've done. You know, it's like you're a friend of sinners. Hello. <laughs> he meant it as a criticism. I took it as a compliment. That's what they said of Jesus, friend of sinners. Count me in, friend of sinners. Don't want to spend all my time hanging out with Christians. No, what would be the point? I might as well go straight to heaven, right? You know, if you're spending all your, well, it's true, isn't it? You know, you're gonna spend all your time in Christians' houses so it's safe and you don't have any compromise. Of course there's compromise. I'm compromised all the time that people hang out with. Jesus was compromised when he hung out with Zacchaeus. Did he care? Of course he didn't care. He cared about Zacchaeus' salvation. My wife and I were both singing in the choir. We were active, engaged, volunteering at the Heights. This hits us to the core. Uh, I don't know why at the moment. Uh, we went and prayed at the altar uh, and just said, okay, God, we're, we've been praying at night together. Just what what is our next step for our family out of everything we've come through? Okay, God, we, we're all in. Not long after John came um, and spoke those words uh, that were so impactful to us, we found ourselves on a Wednesday night going to, instead of choir, going to Madness Games and Comics and sitting down in amongst a bunch of nerds playing Dungeons and Dragons going, we're going to uh, affect change in the gospel with this community. We've just, through all of these small steps, uh, God brought us to incredible relationships. And one of the things that evangelism is to me now is hospitality and it's opening your home. We've had many, many people come to our house and um, have dinner with us, seen our crazy kids running around and we've shared the gospel at, at length many, many times. I would say that we're in the messy middle. <laughs> we are, uh, out there laboring and being faithful with what God's given us and uh, we're in the harvest. We're not reaping it, but that's okay. That's not, we're called to do this. We're called to be faithful with what we have and present it to God and do everything in our power to honor Him with what we're doing. morning how are we let me tell you this um, this is not my introduction but how God just kind of weaves some things together I had no idea that Jordan was going to do that testimony today no idea who was going to go in that direction but 
it's just one of those things where you see God weaving things together. Um, he basically just preached my application. And so, I mean, he, when, when God is at work, he just, he sets these guideposts that we see and it's just, it's encouraging. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight is where we're gonna be. Last week, we started a series called Into the Harvest, and we're considering this farming metaphor that Jesus used to show us that God is always at work in people's lives. These places where we live, where we work, where we play, God is always at work. He's always preparing a harvest, and like Gary was talking about last week, the the task before us is that the harvest is plentiful, The task before us is that Jesus has called us to go into this plentiful harvest. It's put your boots on, crank up the combine. We're going out there into the harvest. And this, which kind of leads us to this morning. This morning, um, we're gonna take a next step into the harvest. We're gonna take the next step because there's um, a serious question that we need to ask ourselves. If we're serious about what Jesus has said in his word about this call to go into the harvest, there's a very serious question that we're gonna have to ask ourselves. What are you prepared to do about it? What are you prepared to do about it? Remember that old movie uh, called The Untouchables? Old movie um, from the 80s. Um, The movie stars Kevin Costner and he plays Agent Elliot Ness, who has come to Chicago to put Al Capone away. But he's really green. Uh, he's pretty naive to the ways of Chicago. Uh, he doesn't really you know, how, know how things work. And there's that scene in the church with him and, and Sean Connery. Sean Connery plays the tough Irish cop who's, who's been around. He's seen some things in the Windy City. He kind of knows how things go. And they're here at the Kneeler, they're looking this way, and, and Connery looks over at him and says, you said you wanted to get Capone. <laughs> do you really want to? What are you prepared to do? Costner says, I have sworn to put this man away, and I will do everything within the law to do so. Connery just kind of smirks at him and says, and then What? You see, if you're gonna go after these people, Mr. Ness, you have to be prepared to go all the way. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. Puts one of your guys in the hospital, you put one of his in the morgue. That's the Chicago way. Are you prepared to do that? What are you prepared to do? We've been talking about this series of Into the Harvest, how God is actively preparing a harvest in the places where we live, where we work, where we play. And really the fundamental question that we need to ask ourselves is simply this. What are you prepared to do about it? How far are you willing to go? Because there's some of us in here, you've been coming to church for a while. You've heard us talking about who's your one. You've heard us talking about alpha. You know you're supposed to share your faith with people. You may even want to share your faith with people. The invitation this morning is to come to the kneeler and honestly ask yourself, what am I prepared to do about that? 
how far am I willing to go into the harvest? So we're just gonna get into Acts 8. But before we read the word of God together, we're gonna talk to the God who wrote the word and then we're going to ask him to help us understand it and be transformed by it. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. We need it. I need it. We need it to cut deep to bone and marrow as it says. Lord, your people do not need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. And so I ask that by the power of your spirit, you would set me aside and you would speak through your word. You would be vocal through your word and that you would indeed cut deep. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is Acts chapter eight, starting in verse 26. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now this isn't a sermon point, but I just, I wanna pull this observation out real quick. It seems like a little throwaway sentence. This is a desert place. But pay attention to those little statements in scripture because when you go deeper on them, they'll change your life. And this particular one will. Sometimes, what we think is a desert place is often the place where God does the greatest work. Sometimes the people who we think are desert places is the people who God is going to do his greatest work. Don't ever, ever despise the desert place because God may indeed be getting ready to do his greatest work in that desert place. Verse 27 and he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So we're introduced to a guy named Philip here. Let's talk about Philip here just for a minute. Philip's just an ordinary everyday guy. Not, nothing too special about Philip. The first time that Philip shows up in the book of Acts is in Acts chapter six, where he's selected to serve as a deacon to the widows in Jerusalem. After that, his story is picked up in Acts eight, where he's called to a city called Samaria. And when he gets to Samaria, here's what happens. God just uses this ordinary, everyday guy to do these incredible things. People are believing in Jesus for salvation all throughout the city. There's this weird story of this magician wizard guy who comes to faith in Christ. And then, like we just read here in Acts chapter eight, uh, God tells him to go out to the desert. Go out to the middle of nowhere because there just so happens to be an African guy who's reading Isaiah. Y'all, when are we going to realize that God works through availability and not ability? He works through availability, not ability. If there's one thing that we know about Philip, one thing in the book of Acts, it's just he, he's an everyday, ordinary guy in the church. And I'm not saying that in a condescending way at all. I'm just saying, he's a deacon. He's a church member. He's not a pastor. He's not a, not a preacher. He's not, not an apostle. He's not what we would call a vocational minister. He's the guy who sets up the tables and the chairs. 
He's the guy who's in the sound booth week in and week out. He's, he serves in student ministry week in and week out. And God uses the availability of this ordinary guy to change the world. I mean, you just think about the sequence of events here. The fact that it's an ordinary, everyday guy like Philip and not an apostle who first carries the gospel into the world internationally, is that not an indication of how God will use everyday, ordinary people to carry the gospel in our community and around the world? I mean, you really think about that. Acts 8, in the desert place, middle of nowhere, this is the first time that the gospel goes internationally and there is not a single one of the 12 apostles involved. None. God just calls this ordinary, everyday guy to go to the desert. And you see this kind of stuff all throughout the book of Acts. Luke, who, who writes the, the book of Acts, it's almost like he goes out of his way to show that the gospel travels faster in the, the lives of ordinary, everyday people than it does to the professionals. Three chapters later in Acts chapter 11, we're introduced to the church at Antioch. The church at Antioch serves as essentially the missionary hub for all the missionary activity that'll happen in the back half of Acts. Y'all, that church was not started by an apostle. In Acts chapter 11, all we're told is that it was started by the brothers. No idea who the brothers are. Just some ordinary, nameless, everyday people who started a church. At the very end, at the very end in the book of Acts, uh, the apostle Paul, he keeps talking about how he's gotta get to Rome. I gotta get to Rome, I gotta preach to Rome. I gotta, I gotta reach Rome. Rome is the end of the earth, I, I gotta go to Rome. It's all about getting to Rome for Paul. And after he, he pulls up to the dock in Rome, mind you, after he's been uh, imprisoned, after he's been in a shipwreck, after he's been bitten by a snake, I can just imagine, he, he gets to the dock in Rome, he steps out, he looks around, he, he breathes in, I've made it. And guess who Acts 27 says is there to greet him? The brothers. Just some. Ordinary, everyday people who made it to Rome and started meeting as a church. Paul gets there and he's like, I, I, I guess I could preach a sermon or two. I mean, Stephen Neal wrote a book called A History of Christian Missions. And he says this He says, Nothing is more notable than the anonymity of these early missionaries. Luke does not turn aside to mention the name of a single one of these pioneers who laid the foundation. Few, if any, of the great churches were really founded by apostles. Peter and Paul may have organized the church in Rome. They certainly did not found it. Y'all, look right at me now. We're at the kneeler today. We're asking ourselves the question, what are you prepared to do? And as we're asking that question, I need us to breathe and exhale and relax because it's never been about your ability. It's only ever been about your availability. There's one thing that God asks for, and that is your yes on the table. And I know that saying yes, putting your yes on the table, that may be scary. It may be hard, and it may very well look like a desert place that you're going to. But just look back in the text here. Who, who tells Philip to go south? God? 
Who tells Philip to go to this random dude's chariot? God? See, it was never about Philip's ability. It was always about his availability, availability to be used by the God who is able to work through him. Listen, this is a spiritual principle that you can take to the bank. There will always be a spiritual ceiling when you're relying on your own abilities. Always. What you can do versus what God can do through you, it's not even a contest. There's this great story about Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas was a 13th century uh, church historian and philosopher. Uh, the story goes that he was down in Rome in the Vatican and the Pope was showing him all these grand artifacts of the Vatican, gold and silver everywhere. Story goes that the Pope turns to him and said, you see all this? We can't say anymore, like Peter said, silver and gold have I none. And without missing a beat, Thomas Aquinas looks right at him and said, that's right. We also can't say in the name of Jesus, take up your mat and walk. Riches had come, resources had come, abilities had come, but spiritual power had gone. Think of like the difference between a pole vaulter and a high jumper. The Olympics are coming up, excited for that. If you watch the high jumpers, if a high jumper is really good, a high jumper is gonna get seven, eight feet. But a pole vaulter, a pole vaulter too has to run. He has to use his abilities, but he doesn't rely on his own abilities. Instead, he has this pole. And he runs and he, he puts the pole down. He puts all of his weight on that pole and he opens himself up, if you would, to the availability of this pole to launch himself into heights he could never go on his own. The Holy Spirit is your pole. For every single one of us in here, the same spirit who launched Philip into the desert is the same spirit who also launches us into the harvest. And the minute that we start to realize that, we realize that God will do things we could never do on our own. So don't tell me that you're not able. Don't tell me you're not qualified. Don't tell me you're not equipped. Don't tell me you're too young. Don't tell me you're too old. Don't tell me that because it's not about your ability. It's about your availability to be used by the God who is able. It was never about Philip's ability. It was always about his availability and that's the same for us. So the question remains, what are you prepared to do? Are you prepared to use your availability as opposed to your ability? Are you prepared to go into the harvest, see God do amazing things and rely on your availability? There's no ceiling when we're relying on God's ability through our availability. And that's exactly what we see next in the text. No one could plan this. No one could strategize what's gonna happen next. Only God could do what's about to happen. So we meet this man from Ethiopia in verse 32. Um, he's a eunuch from Ethiopia. He's basically like a, like a finance minister to the, the queen in Ethiopia. And he invites Philip up into his chariot. This is, this is verse 32 here. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter 
And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life was taken away from the earth. So take note, what he's reading is Isaiah 53. That's what this man is reading, Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 was written about Jesus 700 years before he was born. But this man doesn't know that yet because in verse 34, he asks this question. About whom, I ask, does the prophet say? About himself or about someone else? Just sidebar, this is what we in the biz call into the harvest here. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. Remember the whole concept of this into the harvest emphasis is that God is always working. He, he's always preparing a harvest. And can I just tell you what I think is going on in the life of this Ethiopian man? Now, th- this is conjecture, but I think when we, we put the pieces together, it, it adds up. We know that he's coming back from Jerusalem from worshiping in the temple. Uh, Maybe he heard about the one true God down in Ethiopia and he's coming up to see uh, what all the fuss is about. I I don't know. But here's what we do know. When he got to the temple, here's what he found. By the way, they have actually found this in an archaeological dig. In 1871, they unearthed this thing on the screen right here. This This is a real thing. It's a Greek tablet with an inscription that was located in the front of the outer court of the temple and it said this. No stranger is to enter within this temple. Whoever is caught will himself be responsible for his ensuing death. They didn't have a guest connections ministry in the temple. (laughs) Christy Butler would not allow that here. No strangers. It says no strangers. Now imagine the scenario here. I, I want you to live in this. Taste, the, taste the, the gristle of the desert that this man is in. This man had gotten to the temple and he wasn't even allowed to walk in because he was an outsider, because he was a stranger. And he had been turned away and not been allowed to go in. But now, now he's out in the desert and, and, he's, and he's curious because he's reading Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 is all about someone who bore our grief and carried our sorrows. And I wonder if he's just wondering, could this be that person? If Isaiah 53 said, by his wounds we are healed, could it be that person who could heal me? Could it be that person who could tear down that sign out in front of the temple and I could actually get to the presence of God. Could, could it be that person? And, and let, me, let me just say this as a, as a sidebar. I, I know that there are people in this room and all over our community right now who feel exactly like that Ethiopian man. Where you look at your life and you feel rejected, you feel betrayed, you feel lonely, you feel shut out by your family, shut out by the church. You may very well feel like you are barred from the very presence of God himself. But Isaiah 53, that's good news for the Ethiopian man. 
And let me tell you, Isaiah 53 is good news for us because Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was led to the slaughter like a lamb on that cross. Jesus' life was cut off on that cross. So let not the eunuch say, I am cut off from God. Let not the addict say, I am cut off from God. Let not the depressed say, I am cut off from God. Let not those who have been hurt by the church say, I am cut off from God. Because Jesus was the one who was cut off, we can now get to God, and that is the hope. That is the harvest that was happening in the desert the place where this man was. This is the harvest that God is doing in the life of this man. But it gets better. It gets better because, again, remember, there's no ceiling when it comes to God working through our availability because if you look in verse 39, it says, and when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Now look at the end of verse 39 there. It says, the man went on his way rejoicing. Church history tells us that this man took the gospel of Jesus that he heard, went back to Ethiopia. He was the first missionary to Southern Africa and planted the first church in Africa. Isn't that awesome? Like before there's any Western European convert at all, there's a thriving church in a capital city in Africa. God is always at work. He's always in the harvest. He is always drawing people to himself. I mean, are are you seeing this? When an ordinary, everyday guy goes out to the desert because God tells him to go out to the desert, a man puts his faith in Jesus and the gospel makes it to Africa. This is what is Possible when an ordinary person puts their yes on the table and trusts in God's ability over their ability because what happens? People put their faith in Jesus. Places that have not yet gotten the gospel get the gospel. And hope and healing are recognized. So again, the question is, you wanna go in the harvest? You wanna see God do amazing things? What are you prepared to do about it? You know, rely on your availability as opposed to your ability. Let me give you one more. Let's get practical. Give me, give me something practical, preacher. We've, we've been in the clouds. We need to get practical. We need to get granular. Let me give you one more. We're at the kneeler. You gotta ask yourself, are you prepared to show hospitality? Are you prepared to show hospitality? You're like, what does a casserole have to do with this? This is important. Pay attention here because if you don't, you're gonna think I'm preaching two different sermons. I'm not. It's bubbling up from the text. It's expositional preaching. It's fine. Biblical hospitality is not so much about eating as it is about evangelism. We often think in our Southern culture, our Texan culture, that hospitality is just inviting in church friends to come and hang out with us at our our table. Um, That's not biblical hospitality. That's what's called fellowship. Nothing wrong with that. That's great. It's just not hospitality. Um, Biblical hospitality means welcoming in the stranger. In fact, that's what the word hospitality means. It means welcoming the stranger. Now tell me that's not what Philip is doing here with this Ethiopian man, someone who is literally called by the religious establishment a stranger. 
you're a stranger. You're not allowed to come in. Can't come in the presence of God. And Philip goes to where he is in the desert and welcomes him in. There's a book that I, I highly recommend to you. Um, if you're coming to the Life Group Leader meeting tonight, we'll have it there. You can kind of thumb through it. Uh, the book is called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Um, it, it's written by a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. And she really has the most fascinating story. She was a professor at uh, Syracuse University, practicing lesbian and feminist. Well, a group called the Promise Keepers was coming to upstate New York. And, and she thought the Promise Keepers just represented the most vile, awful, segment of humanity, you know, men who want to follow God's word and, and, you know, lead their families well, just awful, it's terrible. And so what she did is, is she wrote a scathing letter to the, uh, the letter, to the editor of the local newspaper. She got tons of feedback from it, tons. So much so that she started to have a hate pile and a love pile. So if she got, you know, a, a letter that said, you're awesome, you're amazing, that's going to go to the love pile. She got a letter that kind of raked her over the coals. That's going to the hate pile. Then she got a letter from a pastor named Kent Smith and she didn't know what pile to put it in. She said that it was clear that he disagreed with me, but he was just so nice about it. And then he invited me actually over to have dinner at his house with, with his wife. She said, I probably stared at that letter for about five minutes, didn't know what to do with it. Well, to make a long story short, she actually took him up on his offer and she went to dinner every Sunday night for two years. And she said it was through his kindness and her kindness that she actually came to faith in Christ. She got fired from Syracuse, left the gay community, married a pastor and now lives in North Carolina. And then the book, she, what she says is that hospitality in our day, that's gonna be what reaches people. She said, the gospel, it comes with a house key to your life. It comes with an openness to your life so that your house, your dorm room, your apartment, your front yard, wherever, it's an opportunity for strangers to become neighbors and neighbors to become family. And in the book, she, she gives a bunch of reasons as to why we may back away from this. But again, our question is, what are you prepared to do? And some of these just, honestly, they, they hit me in, the, in between the eyes. One, one obstacle that we have of showing hospitality, of going into the harvest, one obstacle is fear. And not just the ask of actually asking someone to come to church, someone to come over to dinner. We're afraid of what could happen if they actually come into our lives. Because we think of our houses as these safe castles. What could this do to our children? What, what are we exposing our children to? This is what it means to follow Jesus though. This means going into the harvest. What did you think you signed up for? You think that you signed up to stop saying dirty words, memorize some verses, get busy in church, listen to Caleb? I mean, what did you think you signed up for? You signed up for the desert place. God did not save you to sanitize you and put you on a shelf. He saved you to send you into service. Think, think of God as like a tornado. He's not gonna draw you in without sending you immediately back out. Second thing that she says is we often see hospitality as performance rather than calling. We, we often see it as performance. 
rather than calling it. In the book, Dr. Butterfield says this, we sometimes forget that the Christian life is a calling, not a performance. Hospitality is necessary whether you have cat hair on the couch or not. People will die of chronic loneliness sooner than they will cat hair in the soup. Listen, this is real talk here, but don't let pride over how you clean your house be a hindrance to the harvest that God is making. The mission is too important to make hospitality primarily about performance and what others think of your housekeeping skills. I mean, if you were sick and you had to go to a hospital, how absurd would it be if they didn't let you in because they didn't water the plants in the lobby for a few days? If you have a medical emergency, you need a hospital. And that's exactly what God has said about our homes. They are God-ordained hospitals. Are we really closing them off to other people because we're ashamed of our old appliances? Are we really closing them off to people because our television's too small or because our kids' toys are all over the floor? And plus, people don't need to see a polished airbrush version of you anyway. What they need to see is that Jesus loves you in your mess and in all the dirtiness that is your house so that they'll know that Jesus loves them in their mess and all the dirtiness that is their life. And this is the third thing, and this is kind of where we'll land. This is the third thing. This is the most important thing, by the way. The most important, the biggest obstacle to going into the harvest, to showing hospitality is this, is to forget that we were once strangers who were outside and couldn't come to God. We were once the stranger. Because of the hospitality, because of the, the love for stranger that Jesus showed you in his death and resurrection, we can now fully come into God's presence. We were once in the desert, but God rose up and he came out to the desert place to find us. That's why Martin Luther said that to progress in the Christian life is to always begin again. It's to always remember that at one time it was you out there in the desert. It was you out there who was barred from the presence of God. And Jesus showed you incredible hospitality. That's the fuel to the fire of your harvest. That's the fuel to the fire of your hospitality. Or to put it another way, those who experience the hospitality of Jesus become like the hospitality of Jesus. So what are you prepared to do? How far are you prepared to go? You wanna see God do amazing things? You wanna go in the harvest? What are you prepared to do about it? You prepared to rely on your availability as opposed to your ability? You prepared to show hospitality? Here's how we're gonna end it. We're gonna end this by commissioning our, our Alpha Table leaders. Alpha starts on Wednesday night. 13 Alpha Table leaders have decided that they're prepared to do what it takes. In some way or fashion, they've been at the kneeler and they've determined, I'm in. And so what I wanna do, I wanna invite the Alpha Table leaders, the 13 of you, you know who you are, come down front right here. And, I, and as you're, you're coming, Remember Apollo 13, the movie, um, that is. Right after Tom Hanks gives that fateful line, Houston, we have a problem. They're trying to figure out what to do. They're trying to figure out the solution of what to do with the problem. And they figured out the solution and the NASA scientists come in 
that he dumps all this space equipment on a table. And he says, this is what we gotta work with. And essentially what we have to do is fit a square peg into a round hole. That's the job, square peg, round hole. But the trick is we have to do with what is on the table because what's on the table is what's on Apollo 13. And I love that illustration in the movie, but I think I like it even more as a church. Because in a lot of way, I feel like the harvest, I feel like evangelism is like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole sometimes. Well, it's just kind of awkward in conversation. You just don't really know how it fits. But God has given us the Spirit. He has told us to rely on our availability and His ability. He's told us to show hospitality. And, and I, don't, I don't mean to be cheesy or anything, I, I really don't. But this world really does have a problem. And God has dumped out 13 people here at the front as His solution to fix it. So we're gonna commission them. We're gonna pray for them to end our service. But I'm also gonna make one more call. Because there's some of you in here who you're ready to go into the harvest too. You're ready to go. And it's gonna be hard. The soil will be rocky and you know you're going into a desert place. What I want to invite you to do is to come down here too and be commissioned along with these 13. You have your one, you know who it is and you come down here with every eye open. We are not singing. Every eye is going to be open. Why? Because if you have the courage to come down here in this moment, my guess is you're gonna have the courage or at least take a step toward the courage to invite someone to Alpha to have that conversation with someone. So if you have your one and you want that commissioning prayer here, you come down front right now. Every eye is open. Everyone is looking around. We are not trying to manipulate the moment here. I'm just saying, come down here right now and we will pray for you. That you will have the courage, that you will have the ability, that you will have the words to say, and God will give you that opportunity in the desert place. We're not playing games here. We're going into the harvest. And Jesus has told us that he will provide a way. He has told us that he is going to use his ability through our availability. So let's pray together. If you would, if you're in the, the audience, reach out your hand as you would, just praying over these. Father, we lift up these who have come. We lift up the 13 who you've set apart as Alpha Table Leaders One. We pray, Lord, that they would have wisdom this Wednesday. Lord, we pray that those who have worked, those who you have prepared a harvest, that they would come in, they would come to Alpha. It's just a tool, we know this. It's just a program, we know this. The real powers, the supernatural work of your Holy Spirit to convert. And so I pray, Lord, that you would use these 13. I pray also, Lord, that you would use these others who have come. Lord, they have come saying that they need you. We cannot get along without you. We need your courage. We need your ability to work through our availability. Our, our, our hands are open. We cannot do this. We cannot save, only you can. And so Lord, we ask that you would help us. Help us in this task that you've given to us. Bless them.
and bless every single person who represents one person who has yet and we are trusting yet that they will come to faith in you. Bring the harvest, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.